God's word tonight and quite a bit of testimony. I hope that's okay. Is that okay? Right. Uh, there is a temptation that many of us have succumbed to uh, to think that uh, miracles, signs and wonders and works of miraculous power were exercised uh, uh, only in biblical times and far off lands thousands of years ago. There is a temptation that many have succumbed to uh, that, that thinks that miracles were only performed by the great heroes of faith that we read about uh, in Scripture. Uh, the great prophets, Paul uh, and the apostles uh, of the early church and, and Jesus, of course. But that miracles could only be performed by these great ones, special anointed of God and by no one else, and only at this far distant time, a special time in history where God was establishing certain things. And so miracles uh, were necessary. Uh, you might be surprised to hear that. The uh, rock's quite an enlightened, Pentecostal kind of community here. So you might think, what? People believe that? A lot of people believe that. A lot of people in the church believe that. And maybe there are people here who have never experienced miracles before, and they'll be saying, yep, that sounds about right. If you do believe that, if you're not sure about miracles, we seriously need to look at the renewing of our minds because there are things beyond our experience that we need to get our hands, our heads and our hearts around. I, uh, I wouldn't question, for instance, that most of us believe that miracles are possible and that God could do miracles if he wanted to. You believe God could do miracles? You believe that he has power? You know? Well, some people know and some people have seen it, but it turns out a lot of people haven't. And so it's in this, this basket of, yeah, I'm pretty sure God could, could do it if he gave it a go. And, and apparently he did in ancient times. Uh, you might be even so bold to believe that God does do miracles just uh, in far off places, not here, and through super spiritual people, people much more spiritual than me which doesn't take much. Easy. We're going to talk about miracles a bit tonight. Their reality today and their significance today and here. But first, let's, let's start by looking at their significance in the discipleship of Peter. We're looking at a bit of a, a series at night about uh, how Jesus discipled his followers and raised them up so that we can grab truths from there and see that in our own lives. And miracles played an important part in the discipleship of Peter. I love, I love the character of Peter. Please turn to John chapter 2, if you would. John chapter 2. We're going to have a look at his story there. I love Peter. He's so, so manly. So he's a man of action. He's quick to strike. He's not very quick to think or quick to perceive things. But he gets like just a hint of something and he runs with it. He's uh, quite bold in that way. John chapter 2 and from verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. 
Ever call your mum woman? I don't know if I'd get away with it, eh? Son of God got away with it. I don't think I'll try it. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Yes, mum. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to these servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, so the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. Jesus' first miracle is uh, a funny one. When you have an idea of what he can do, what God has done throughout history and what he goes on to do, starting with the, the water to wine trick, sounds a bit odd. He, it's not like he comes out all guns blazing. He you know, could have parted a sea. He could have raised people from the dead. Uh, he could have done. He could have t- turned people into chickens. Um, that's also probably a party trick. Now I think about it. Um, no, he starts with with water to wine, and um, uh, you, it could easily be dismissed uh, as a mere party trick if you weren't there to see it. But if we were there, as his disciples were, and we saw him do that, that certainly would have blown us away as it did them. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus turn water into wine? He almost seemed reluctant to do it. He talked about the timing not quite being right. Was he trying to save the bridegroom from the public embarrassment uh, of of not providing enough uh, beverage and hospitality to the guests at the wedding? Did he do it just because his mum asked him to? I don't know. The scripture doesn't really talk about that. But what makes it clear is that Jesus had the power to manipulate the elements. We're talking here about manipulating subatomic particles to turn hydrogen and oxygen uh, atoms, to split them and make carbon atoms so that you can make ethanol from water. Okay? This is breaking atoms apart to make this possible. Jesus has the power to manipulate subatomic particles. I'm not sure if the disciples got that at the time, but that's what it amounts to. It's not like just pouring some concentrate in, giving it a stir, and there you go. It was something very, very special. Jesus, in the first miracle, and I only got this just recently, to the very core, the elemental nature of these atoms, he ripped them apart and made something completely new. That is a very full-on miracle. That's not a party trick. He holds the keys to the very essence of life, the building blocks of creation. And he tweaked it. He changed it completely just to bless a man and honor his mother at a wedding party. That's a pretty cool God. And that's a very powerful God. Woo! Jesus had the power 
He used the power, and because he did, at the very start of his ministry, after he's just called his disciples, his disciples put their faith in him. Now, this is something different than what they had before. They started by following a rabbi, a wise teacher, and they were honoured to come into his fellowship and to learn from him. But at Cana, they put their faith in a Messiah, a man of immense power, a man connected to God. This is a whole other level. The God that Peter and the disciples followed and came to know was a God of power. Psalm 77, 14 says, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Job 5, 9 says, He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. And Jeremiah 32, 20 says, You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all nations, and have gained the renown that is still yours. And so the discipleship journey that Jesus' followers were on was a very spiritual journey. And they had countless spiritual experiences with him. They saw Jesus perform the most amazing miracles, incredible works. He rebuked storms. He stood up, told a storm to shut up, and it calmed. He brought people back from the dead. He healed all kinds of diseases, sicknesses, healed the lame, restored sight. He walked on water. And what was very special for Peter is that he reached out his hand to Peter and enabled Peter to share in that miracle as well. Peter didn't watch Jesus walk on water. He got to step out of the boat and walk on that himself. Man. What's that going to do for your faith? Luke chapter 9 verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And so they traveled in pairs, preaching the good news and performing miracles to confirm the word uh, that they were preaching with power. And after this, Jesus then sends out 72 from his wider group of disciples and anointed them with power as well to go out to preach repentance, repeat his word, but also to bring healing and miraculous power as well. The miracles that Jesus brought weren't just to be witnessed, they were to be experienced. And he handed that power over to his followers. And they ran with it. Acts chapter 5 verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Acts 6, 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Why the miracles? Isn't the most important thing that people hear God's word? That they hear the words of the gospel? Isn't that the most important thing? Isn't that what we should focus our 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 attention on, our ministries on. Mostly we do. But it's interesting that when you look at the ministry of Jesus and his disciples, his followers, it wasn't just about the word. Their preaching was always accompanied with miracles, with power. Always. 
Why? Acts 14.3 Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4-5 Paul explains, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. So despite his rather extensive theological education, the Apostle Paul didn't lean on his own understanding. Believe me, Paul was the greatest young scholar of his day, studied under the best pharisaical teacher. He knew God's word, could recite the whole thing, everything they had. He understood it. But up until his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, he hadn't experienced it. It was just words to him. And so when he went on to preach God's word, he brought power with it because it's word and it's power. And those miracles proved to confirm that what he said was true. So people believed and they put their faith in God. Faith that stood firm against a test which would be the most malevolent persecution that the church has ever faced over the next 50 years of Paul's ministry and his death. His preaching, his presentation of the gospel, accompanied by works of miracles, works of power, stood strong and established the church that we are now part of. But that was 2,000 years ago. That was then when God was building something new. What about here and now? What about Wellington, 2011? We need a miracle in October. What about here and now? What about the rock? What about my life? John chapter 14, verse 12 to 13. Very truly I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Mark 16:17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's supposed to be happening now. Let's have a look at a few stories of how that is happening right now. We're going we're gonna to look at some footage and just soak up some very powerful testimonies that were documented in a feature called Finger of God by a guy called Darren Wilson. So sit back, uh, relax, get comfy, because there's so much good stuff in here. We're gonna I just had a brand new eyeball. Uh, one of the most significant things I've ever heard ever seen. You know, John Wesley said, set yourself on fire for all to come and watch you burn. And I think some of it is creating a lifestyle where we deliberately set our cold, 
broken, stony hearts before the fire of his love. Now when you make a movie like this, you begin to hear about things happening around the world that don't get discussed much on popular news media. For example, this place, Bethel Church in Redding, California. You've already heard a bit from their pastor, but I went out there to check out a school of ministry they had where the student's idea of a good time was to go to the ER on Friday nights to try and pray for someone to be healed before the doctor saw them. These students were some of the most radical people I've ever met. About a couple of weeks ago, I took my little brother uh, out on what we call a treasure hunt, which is where we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pray beforehand and we'll just say, Lord, you know, um, we're going to go like specifically to say like a mall or, you know, someplace out in the public and we'll say, you know, show us, you know, names of people, what they look like, maybe what we can pray for. So we did that and then we went into this mall and um, my brother had gotten a clue of um, to go into like kind of like a video game slash like uh, role playing game store and so we kind of found that one out. I had gotten this picture of like uh, somebody with like this thing on their arm where it like wraps over their, their finger and I had thought it was like one of those things that like girls wear, you know, like they like pull the things up over their arm. I don't even know what that is. Um, and so we're in this store and then all of a sudden I, this kid's in the background and he's, um, he's playing, you know, whatever this like game, this kind of like role playing chess game thing. And uh, he has a cast on his hand. So I'm like, well, that's a good place to start, you know. So me and my brother like walked over to him and um, kind of just like sort of boldly just kind of interrupted his game. And I was like halfway thinking, I wonder if his like friend that they're playing this game with is going to get all irritated or anything. And um, I just said, hey, you know, I noticed you have a cast. What happened? You know, was it an accident? Yeah. And he's like, you know, I, I, I fell on my skateboard. I, like, sprained my wrist really badly. And uh, I said, well, you know, Jesus can heal you. You know, can we pray for you right now? Because we felt like we are supposed to come in here and specifically to, like, pray for people. And he's all, okay, you know. And um, so he took his thing off. We asked him if we could, like, pray for his hand. And uh, I just touched it. And I just said, you know, in Jesus' name, I just release healing power. And, Lord, just thank you that you died for our healing and, and for our sins. And, and then I said, test it out. And he's all yeah it's, it's better and I was like well what do you mean it's better like like on a scale of 1 to 10 like 0 being no no change and 10 being like fully fully better I'm like where is it you know he's like it's like a 10 you know and I was like it's a 10 and he's like yeah and I'm all dude you just got healed and then he was like I know you know he was like all like he, he like didn't know how to respond almost we were we were on the streets and there was a, a man that was begging he was mute uh, he was mute um, from birth and he was begging on the streets of Skid Row in LA, a real rough part of town, and uh, we begin to pray for the guy, and uh, he was just, uh, uh, just kind of, kind of groaning and stuff. And but uh, we asked him and, and said, "Say Jesus," you know, and he began to speak, and we commanded him to speak, and, and, and we commanded healing to come, and he began to speak, and his first words were Jesus. And just, just this past weekend, I was praying for someone's finger that was completely crooked. And uh, it had no feeling in the finger, and I put my hand on it, and I started releasing the kingdom of God. I started praying in the name of Jesus, just, just healing power to flow. And the guy's finger popped right back in, in my hand. And uh, he started crying and said, I haven't had feeling in my finger for six years. And not too long ago, I was out, sho I was out shopping, and I ended up buying a drink at this place where there was this girl. And I, t I was talking to her, and I asked her if she needed prayer for anything. And she told me that she had a dislocated shoulder. And so I prayed for her shoulder real quick, and I just prayed that God would show her how much he loved her and asked her how she was doing. And she said there wasn't any difference right then. Prayed again, and there actually wasn't any difference then. So I left, um, wondering why the person didn't get healed. But that night, I talked, to her, I talked to someone who had talked to her later and found out that that night as she was laying in bed, her shoulder instantly snapped back into place, and it freaked her out so much. And the next now, 
As I sat there and listened to story after story after story, eight hours in all, I began to wonder if what I was hearing about was supposed to be the average Christian life. I mean, these kids were out of their minds for God. Had I been missing something all these years? I came out of a background where I had never even heard of the Holy Spirit until about four years ago. Like, they just didn't talk about it. And now I read through the Bible, and I mean, like, they have whole books on what people do through the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, how can you miss this? <laughs> it's, it's right there. You believe in Jesus, and that's his birth. That's his book right there. <laughs> like, if you don't believe that, do you believe him? Um, I just thought I had to do good things. Like, I thought that I had to be super nice to every single person in the world. <laughs> you know, um, I thought that I had to go to church. I had to sing in the choir. I had to be a part of the things that were happening, you know. Um, it was all about what I did and not about bringing Jesus home with me. Like, he just wasn't at home, you know. He just wasn't in the grocery store. He was just at church. And But my perspective of who he was was that he's, he's my God and he saved me, but I didn't know anything about hearing him speak to me or seeing him move. The, the miraculous it just should be a common, everyday thing in life. Because if Jesus said to follow him and to do the things he did, a lot of people you look at that as like, it's just a, um, you know, like just to try to not do bad things and to pray and to do that. It seems like it's almost ignored that Jesus did miracles all the time and he healed the sick and he raised the dead. And then if he said to follow me, it would probably be what he was saying is also to do the same miracles that he did and to walk in the same but he didn't. It should just be a common thing in our life, even though it's not seen that way by most Christians. And some people say, oh, Christianity is boring. And I really feel it's because they haven't seen the full potential of what a Christian can be. Like, the full gospel and, like, really doing what Jesus called us to do, how can it be boring, you know? You see someone get out of a wheelchair and you're like, man, I'm bored? No, that doesn't happen. The real reason why a lot of people don't step out and do the works of Jesus Christ is because they have not been taught that they can do it. They have not been taught that the reality is the same Spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the grave lives inside of them. But the Holy Spirit is imprisoned in unbelieving believers. And the Holy Spirit longs to get out, to touch somebody, to make impact. One of the most impressive things about these students was their level of boldness. They didn't care how they looked. They just wanted God to touch people. For example, it's Friday night, and these kids are all going to hit the streets for the Lord. First they listen, then they write, then they compare notes. This was evangelism unlike anything I've ever seen before. Let's start off and look at I got, I got stone, bridge. Okay, I got Starbucks and gas station. Dude, you know what? I think we should go over to Starbucks and Colts. Okay. What do you got? Where's that? Are we over like on the strip? It's in uh, Discovery Village. I mean, like, cause we don't have an agenda. Like, we don't have, we're not handing out tracks. We're not, like, soliciting people to come to our group or, or anything like that. And so you're filled with so many awkward moments because you're, like, you're kind of, like, cause it, there, it, 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 there's, like, so much faith, you know. Like, you're just going, but you don't exactly know where you're going. You don't exactly know who you're going to meet. But then it's just, like, as you go, like, and you just step out, like, things just start connecting. Like, the Holy Spirit just starts connecting the dots, you know. And then it's all of a sudden you find yourself in this God moment, this encounter, and like just healings break out and salvation, you know.
all of us have God communing with us. So there's no difference in the kingdom between those who go after the supernatural and those who don't. We all have the same resource. We all have the same access. We're all sons and daughters. We're all children. And therefore, we have access and have been given the same authority as his children to release what's in the kingdom. My heart's desire is for people to meet the God of miracles. The purpose of the miracle is to meet the God of miracles. The miracle is just a means to reach, to, to, to realize that God in the invisible realm is real, is personal, and cares about me as an individual. That's the whole deal. The supernatural should be so natural that, you know, God created us to be his very friend on earth. You know, in him we move and live and have our being. And so, especially in Mozambique, Africa, because we have no entertainment, like we don't have television, we don't have malls, we have absolutely no outside input, like the supernatural becomes the entertainment, you know, because God's the most exciting, you know, captivating being in the world. It's the normal Christian life, and we're seeing that miracles really are normal. And uh, Jesus was the most normal Christian in the Bible, and he modeled for us what life could be like. Could it be true? Could this be the normal Christian life? Why didn't anyone tell me? My faith had been buried in unbelief for years, but now something was changing. Something was stirring inside of me. Something that had laid dormant for nearly my entire life. I'd been dealing with stories and miracles from where I live, America. It was only a matter of time then that I would begin to hear about what was happening beyond America's borders. And the things I heard were beyond anything I could imagine. A new world was unfolding before me. A world on fire for God. One report that's been really well documented is, is the one of uh, a monk in... Uh, Myanmar, which used to be called Burma, who died and was dead for three days. And they were getting ready to, to cremate, cremate him. It was at the end of the funeral. And suddenly he sat up in his casket. And he said this. I'll, I'll read it so I can get the words straight. It's all a lie. I saw our ancestors burning and being tortured in some kind of fire. I also saw Buddha and many other Buddhist holy men. They're all in a sea of fire. We must listen to the Christians. They're the only ones who know the truth. And this story has, has been uh, duplicated and handed around all over um, the country there. And, uh, in fact, it's a crime to be in possession of the tape of, of what he said. But he, is, he has seen hundreds of his former fellow Buddhist monks come to Christ simply because of his testimony. Remember this guy? Hostage negotiator, works closely with the Pentagon. Well, he's also the official Anglican priest over all of Iraq, and he's seen God doing some amazing things there. He also has church services in a few interesting places. One of the great difficulties um, within our work in Iraq, particularly our church work, has been the fact that 
We've had so many of our staff killed. In the past year, I've had 11 of my staff killed, including all of my church leaders, which were coming back from a church leaders' training course in Amman, and they were all killed. I've had other members of my staff, guards and hostage team, various people, um, often brutally murdered, and often we don't even find their bodies. So it's very difficult. Now I am not even allowed to go to my church in Baghdad. So we have our services when I'm there in the Shiite Muslim Prime Minister's office. I think we're probably the only church in the world that meets in the Shiite Muslim Prime Minister's office. Now if you think that's amazing and are wondering why you haven't heard that on the news, listen to where he has his American services in Baghdad. My American congregation is based at Saddam's Old Palace. That's where we have our Bible studies and our services, and we baptize people in Saddam's swimming pool. Very good baptistry. At least he did one good thing in his life. We experienced for one month the power and the anointing of God, the glory of God was moved during the praise and worship in our church, we experienced the moist of the Holy Spirit, of the power of God. Every time that we praise and worship God, the floor was wet. The, the ceiling is also wet. The wall was wet. And since it's, it's hard to explain why is it happening. I, I, I prayed over three year old child and he went straight to pray for the sick well I wouldn't have gone to all the blind people in the meeting but he did and he had 20 blind and almost blind people totally healed and I've never seen that through my prayers but he just went as a child if Jesus is going to heal people he might as well heal the worse <laughs> you know and he went straight to the blind and the glasses that were this thick and it was amazing and it was an education as well I have so many stories but I can think of one when one of the Ayatollahs said to me one day Abuna Andrew we need to meet it's nearly Eid and I didn't have enough money to buy them any meat and that night I went out and I prayed and I had an incredible experience of the glory of God and the next morning at breakfast somebody came up to me and said, hey father, you want some meat? He was really quite aggressive. I said, what do you mean to want some meat? He said, well, you're helping the people of Iraq. Do you want some meat? I said, okay, I'll have some meat. And he had a whole shipload of meat. Thousands and thousands of tons of meat. And the refrigerated lorry, so we had enough meat for everybody. Please. He said to me, I told you to pray about it. This is what happens when you pray. Uh, Todd Bentley of Fresh Fire Ministries, a healing evangelist, was partnering with Iris and they were going to do this joint feeding program and Iris wanted to feed Malawi during a famine for four months. And so I went on this crusade with Todd and in that meeting that night, the Lord himself came and he walked through the crowds and everywhere that Jesus walked was on tape. People parted to the right and the left and they were instantly healed. Did you hear what she said? 
It's on tape. I was able to get a hold of the footage, and, well, here it is. And then there's China. Few places in the world are seeing the explosion of God's power like the underground church in China is experiencing. And in the last 60 years, China's communist government has done its best to wipe Christianity off the map. But if you look at church history, persecution only made the church to grow. So the Christians grew from perhaps a million in 1949 to 100 million right now in 2007. And persecution was a reason. But another reason was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it was mostly in these house churches, which they used to call underground churches. They're not really physically underground, but sometimes they do meet in caves. But they're just not registered. They're not legal. But in the last few years, the policies really changed in China where they don't recognize them, but they don't persecute them so much. Mostly, they don't persecute Christians, but they persecute preachers. People are going around and starting churches all the time. Let me stop it here and introduce this man. This is Dennis Balcom, and he's been a missionary in China for the last 40 years. He obviously has some exciting stories to tell, but he actually offered me something far more valuable. He supplied me with the treasure trove of footage from deep in the heart of the underground church in China. What you are about to see is some of the rarest footage on the planet. In this church, the people wake up at 4.30 to come together for two hours to pray and worship. They do this every day. This church meets in the only place they are safe, a cave. This church meets on a farm, far away from prying eyes. Here's an example of an underground church outreach. The people sitting are Christians. The people who are standing are not. This particular preacher was once crippled, but was healed when someone prayed for her. She now preaches the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen. In this particular meeting, over 1,000 people became Christians. This is a church service attended by over 6,000 people. And while that may sound like a lot, you have to understand, this one church has over 300,000 members. This is often how churches operate in China. They start by getting everyone's attention using drama or music. Then they pray for the sick. This has become common practice in the Chinese church and for good reason. As Dennis put it, 
We've, I've seen AIDS patients completely delivered recently, a lot of different healings, and the healings and the miracles are one reason that many people come to the Lord. Here Christians cast out demons from an 18-year-old girl. She's now a preacher. In Shanghai alone, there are over 3,000 house churches, just like this one. One thing Dennis pointed out to me was that most of the underground churches in China are actually led by young people. These kids have all come out of the communist system, and they want nothing to do with it. They only want to spread the love of Jesus to everybody they meet. This is a music school. Well, that's the cover anyway. It's really a training school for students who want to be pastors. The government thinks they're simply learning to play instruments. One thing I quickly realized about the Chinese church is that it's a lot different from the American one. For one thing, they think a four-hour sermon is short. But more than that, even, is how different their services looked from ours. I mean, see for yourself what happens when a desperate people plug into a powerful God. This is a Sunday school class. What's the big deal about that, you ask? Well, none of these kids' parents are Christians. They send their kids here so they will learn to be good children. Nearly all of these children will eventually lead their parents to the Lord. In this church service, it's 120 degrees inside the building. The people meet for 12 hours straight. Dennis told me one story about a time he went to a very remote village in China to preach. He was led into a large room where the people were packed so closely together that he had his back to the wall and could reach out and touch the row in front of him. Everyone stood. There was no room to sit. He asked how long he should preach for, and they told him from 8.30 to 7 at night. Then they asked him, if it wasn't too much trouble, could you come back tomorrow and preach from 8.30 to 7 again? And then, very sheepishly, they asked again, if you'd be so kind, could you come back the day after that and preach from 8.30 to 7? He asked how often he should take breaks, and they told him not to stop. The people will wait. Then he asked them what he should preach on. Everything, they replied, from Genesis to Revelation. And then it dawned on him, these people had no Bibles. Well, very common is miracles of healing, like anywhere in church history. But it's not particularly in church services, like we have healing conferences. It's when they're out evangelizing. There's miracles of divine guidance. Uh, there's miracles of nature, like an example, there's a field where all of the crops are dry except for the Christian field. And their field has beautiful crops and they say when it rained, the rain came on their field. And in times of flood, the Lord would protect the villages of the Christians when all the other villages were destroyed. 
And I think if the Western church would stand up and really preach the gospel, not, not get involved in, you know, about abortion and, and uh, gay rights and these, just preach Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't want to hear Jesus Christ preach. And that's what, they're, they're not on any social issue. They don't even talk about the government. They might pray for the government. We don't have this thing about, you know, the nation is going to be converted, the government is going to be converted. They simply preach the gospel. And persecution comes when you really preach the gospel and tell people to repent and turn to the Lord. And, uh, and I think that it's the persecution and the, the suffering that has really made the church strong. Back while I was filming in churches, I met someone who would change my life forever. Her name is Heidi Baker. Heidi and her husband, Roland, invited me to come out to their home in Mozambique to see what God was up to. Suddenly, I was going to Africa, and my whole world was once again about to be rearranged. This is Francis. Francis was dead once, but as you can see here, he's now very much alive. Before I'd even reached Mozambique, I met Francis here, who came to see me at the airport in Johannesburg. Iris Ministries, which is where I was heading, has seen nearly 100 people raised from the dead in the last seven years. Francis is one of them. Here is his story. We were at the hall uh, at the 23rd of September 2003. I was, I was the one who was responsible to welcome the guests. As I was there, just outside speaking to the guests, just welcoming them, then I decided to lock up the gate because it was almost about uh, dark. As I was about to lock the gate, four men came to me, uh, approaching me, then I thought that those people want to get into the hall uh, to have fellowship with us. Then immediately as I was uh, uh, looking at them, then they grabbed me, they started beating me. As uh, they were starting beating me, then I, I asked them, what is happening? Then they said, no, we want to kill you today. That's your last day. And then I tried to fight back, then uh, all my attempts failed because there were four. And then after that, after they've assaulted me and beaten me, then I didn't know uh, later what happened. Somebody finds an old car and they get the body to the hospital. It's the praise that goes with them. They don't know what to do. They get to the hospital. Uh, they killed him about 11 o'clock. At about 12.15, Surprise is praying. The whole entire conference is praying. They don't know what else to do. They just The whole place is praying. 11, uh, 12.15 at night at the hospital. Franzi starts to breathe and he comes back to life. <laughs> now, I originally thought that was the end of the story, but it's not. In fact, it's not even the best part of the story. But he's in a... But he's in a... He's just in a complete mess. By now, his eyes are swollen shut. His mouth is swollen shut. He can't talk. He's just in a total physical mess. Looks like it's going to take him just ages and ages to recover. But he's alive. <laughs> There's a whole gang of these guys. And the police later in the morning finally finds one of them. And they're so proud of themselves. They call the church. Come on down here. Press charges. Sign papers. We'll get this guy in jail right now. <laughs> but last night when the frenzy came back to life, just before they put him out for the night, he managed to croak out between his swollen lips. He managed to croak out, forgive them. 
the only thing he could say. It's the only thing he did say. Just forgive them. And that got back to the church. So when the police called to come down to press charges and sign papers, the whole church agrees we're not going to do that. We're just going to forgive him. The police are really upset. This is not how to handle crime in South Africa. And they keep demanding that somebody come down and press charges. But the entire church with one voice said, no, we're not going to do that. As soon as they forgave this guy, told the police, absolutely no, the phone call came from the hospital that Franzi was totally and completely healed. Not a scratch on him, not a bruise on him. He could see and talk perfectly normally. There was 100% nothing wrong with him. They had no reason to keep him overnight till Monday. So they told the church to come get your guy right now. And then he goes down to get the guy out of jail who killed him the night before. Then I went to the police station and asked to the police, uh, uh, to the police officer there just that I want to see that man. And uh, then after that, then I, did, I asked them just to release that man because I've already forgiven the police. Uh, the officers uh, firstly denied my request because they say, how will you uh, 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 forgive someone who has beaten you to death like this? Then I said to them, no, this guy doesn't know what, what he did. Then the police then uh, uh, accept my request, then they release him. Then I hugged him and tell him that God loves him. Then, then I said to him, no, my brother, uh, I, I will urge you just to accept Jesus as, a, as your Lord and Savior and go back home happy. Well, he did become a Christian, and then he went to Bible school. And today, he can't stop telling everyone he meets about how God changed the heart of a murderer through one act of forgiveness by a dead guy. Mozambique, the poorest nation in the world, a 90% unemployment rate, a history of war and violence, a starving people, and it is here, quite literally at the end of the earth, where love shines brightest. Seven thousand orphans, twelve thousand mouths to feed every day, nearly eight thousand churches planted in the last seven years, thousands of people miraculously healed, over eighty people raised from the dead, one woman in the dirt. I first heard of Heidi Baker from Bill Johnson. During my interview with him, he dropped this on me. Canada, whether it's in Mozambique, where friends of ours there have resurrections on a normal basis, uh, the healing of the blind. I have a friend there that goes to a village. The way she presents the gospel to a village that has never heard the gospel before. She walks in and she says, bring me your deaf. And they bring all the deaf. And she says, she points to one and she says, do you people know this man? 
Everyone says, yes. Is he deaf? Do you know for certain he's deaf? Yes, he's deaf. She lays hands on him. God opens the ears. And this city, this community, this little village becomes open to the gospel. And village after village, the entire village is converted simply because Jesus shows his love uh, to where, uh, where people are healed of deafness and blindness, etc. Now this takes some serious spiritual guts. Travel to a remote village. Get the people to come by singing and dancing. Show the Jesus film. For many, this is the first movie they've ever seen. And they often yell warnings to Jesus when he's on trial. After that, tell the people who Jesus is and how much he loves them. Then prove it by healing the deaf and the blind. I'd never seen anything like it. I never even heard of anything like it. But here it was, right in front of my eyes. A woman from Laguna Beach, California, with a Ph.D. in systematic theology from King's College in London, bringing a boldness of faith to a desperate people that, quite frankly, took my breath away. A lot of people I know are just uneasy at the thought of miracles and at the, at the thought of people being raised from the dead. They, they really, really start squirming. It's just so freaky. They just, it's just, I don't even understand. Because I, I so love the presence of God. I, the closer He is, the more at peace I am. But it, if you're not at peace with God, you're not going to be at peace with a powerful miracle next to you. <laughs> I mean, we have incredible mi- mi- miracles. I'm thinking in Portuguese, milagres. We have amazing miracles here. The deaf hear and the blind see and the cripple walk and the dead are raised. And the kids taught me. I mean, they're the ones that pray for the sick. We pray together. I mean, I just get to go with them. But, see, they, children are, you have a nice monkey with you now. <laughs> children are totally dependent. They can't do it by themselves. If we want to know about the kingdom, we have to become like a child and be dependent. No, we can't do it. Poor in spirit, childlike. We have to know that we depend on the Father and we just like hold His hand all the time. All children believe that God does miracles. All children believe that God can open deaf ears and blind eyes and take away cancer. All children believe it until an adult teaches them that God can do it. So I call up little children in the West because they're not ruined yet. Little children especially aren't ruined by unbelief and by materialism. Little children have these pure hearts and the kingdom of God breaks forth for them. In Korea and Brazil and America, Canada, Australia, Europe, um, kids are seeing the power of God. I had started this journey looking for people who don't just talk about what they believe, but who act on what they believe with a confidence in a God who is big and powerful and loves us all immeasurably. And here were a bunch of little kids who perform miracles every day simply because they love God and know that He loves them. No Playstations, no cartoons, no toys even. Just God. And look at what is possible when God becomes your sole purpose in life.
So we went to the bush. We went to a Muslim village that had never heard the name of Jesus before, a village of mud huts and dirty feet, where the women walked ten hours to simply get water. We danced, we sang, we watched a film about Jesus, and Heidi preached. Before the night began, God told Heidi not to pray for anyone until, quote, the deaf woman came forward. So she called for her, over and over again, for twenty minutes. She said later that if the woman never came forward, we were all going home. But then, from out of the darkness, she came. just witnessed a miracle. An entire village testified that this woman was deaf, but now she hears. For the first time in her life, she will hear her baby cry. She will hear her child speak her name, and she will know that God loves her. There were many more miracles that happened that week, including another young deaf girl healed. In Mozambique, when Heidi and her children pray for the deaf, nearly everyone is healed. It's truly incredible to see. I think I do. The first thing I'd say is, I'm just one little lady in the dirt. I'm one little lady in the dirt, loving children, loving God, one day at a time. I'm not complicated. I'm not special. I just, I just feel like God said love and stop and love. And He also told me that everything you do is holy unto Him. So when I'm holding, um, when I'm holding a child, it's holy, holy, holy. When I'm underwater in worship, it's holy, holy, holy. When I'm walking, it's holy, holy, holy. When I take another child from uh, whose parents have died, that's holy. When I'm sweeping the floor, it's holy. When I'm 
when I'm in a staff meeting, it's holy. I believe that the Western Church has compartmentalized things. And the Lord says, let me into everything. Everything we do is for Him. So I don't just pray five hours a day. I pray every waking moment of the day. It's like breathing to me. Praying and breathing are the same thing. So I say just abide in Him. And the more you abide in Him and you feel His love and you let Him show you who you are, you're, an, you're not an orphan, no one's an orphan, you know, then, then you start feeling this fullness that comes from living inside His heart and you're just happy. We don't chase miracles, they chase us. <laughs> we preach the straight gospel. We like miracles because we like God. You know, when you love somebody, you like what they do. Miracles by themselves don't thrill people with God. It didn't always thrill people with Jesus when He was on earth. The fact is that a, a miracle by itself does not accomplish what God is after. Miracles demonstrate that God is real people can see evidence that God is here, His fingerprint is on us, the finger of, of God has come upon you. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come upon you, now what do we do? You know, Now that we know that God is real, now that we know He's done this, how do we respond? Many, many years his whole body is in pain, all of his chest down. visit to Mozambique, I found myself in Paris. Um, we've got like eight hours of that stuff, story, uh, so we could, we could go, you know, for the next you know, 
Christian night. Just there's so many stories. And I see that, and I think, where did I get my Christianity from? I got ripped off. I want that one. It's like I've got this form of godliness, but I can get the power. I can get the power upgrade. That's what I want now. I want the power upgrade. I want the full deal. Because this is a faith that changes the world. Man, where can we get this from? What I've come to understand as as I've been searching the scriptures over the last few weeks is I've been on a pretty intense journey seeking God for more because I'm unsatisfied with what I have is that there is no reason why I shouldn't have that in my life. When I shouldn't have the power of God right there working in my life and working through me to transform everything. There is no reason why I shouldn't have this. God wants to use me. He wants to work through me. In fact, he has been and is doing stuff. The problem is, I'm not even seeing it. I am blind to what God is already doing. He is working in my life. He is working in this church all the time. He is doing so many things, and I don't even see it. So my faith stays weak. Friends, so many of us are hamstrung hamstrung by a lack of sight and unbelief. And I find myself in this interesting position of wishing that I had the faith of a three-year-old African child. Because if I did, I would see the most amazing things done through me. But no, over the last 20 years of my faith, I have learnt to unbelieve. I have developed a scepticism which makes it difficult for God to work through me because I won't let him. And my eyes have become blinded to what he is doing. And it's like I I forget stuff that he's already shown me. One of the greatest lessons of my faith I ever learnt was when I was 13 years old. Just turning 13. And I remember it clearly, and I've shared it before. My mum, on her bed, single mum, four kids, crying out to God and hearing your mother sob herself to sleep in prayer. It's a very painful experience. But mum cried and prayed that God would fill an empty pantry because there was no food for her kids the next day. No milk, no wheat bricks, no bread, no nothing to feed us for breakfast. And, was, and mum didn't know what to do, and so she prayed. And there were bags of groceries on the veranda the next morning. I found them. How do you forget stuff like that? How do you unlearn that? How do you unlearn that God loves you and God can do anything he wants? just like that. And that's just a bag of groceries, for goodness sake. It's not raising the dead. One of my closest friends has been prayed back from stage four brain cancer to full remission. Another friend who's here tonight, God just wiped out $200,000 worth of debt. God got the bank to wipe out $200,000 of debt. Yeah. We need to get God to talk to my bank. <laughs> a sister of mine who was barren was, was blessed with a child. 
Why? Why did these things happen? These things happened because God's people had faith and they asked him for them. And don't you know, God is just desperate to give us good things and show us his glory and his power. If you have faith, if you put your faith in that and you reach out, I want that faith. So what, so what I see in that, that miracle in Cana at the wedding is that Jesus did something special. His disciples saw that and they put their faith in him and their faith grew. And so what I now know is that I need my eyes open to what God is doing. And the more I see him do, the more my faith will grow and the more faith I will put in him. And the more faith I have in him, the more amazing things he's going to do in me and through me. And so when a friend of mine is sick or I meet a sick person, someone who is unwell or disabled, I won't pat them on the back and say, hey, yeah, I'll pray for you. I will call the power of God down on them right there and see that miracle accomplished. Why? Because God wants to heal them, and I believe he can, and so I will see it done then. My God is not about maybes. So I've got a bit of a journey ahead of me to grow into that faith, and I know a lot of us do as well. So what I want to do tonight is just just pray together for that and cry out for him for two things. First of all, you've got to decide that that's what you want. You've got to decide that you want a faith that is pretty freaky. That's full on. If you're comfortable with the faith that you have, if your Christianity that you have right now, if you're cool with that, well, then that's it. Awesome. Good luck with that. If you want the full deal, the full package, well, then let's go for it. Let's go after that. And so this is what I believe we need. We need two things. One, we need sight. We need spiritual sight to see and perceive what God is doing, that we can see his works. Because so many of his things go unnoticed by us. God works in the big, flash, colorful stuff, but all the time he is on us, his hand on us, providing for us, protecting us, healing us. Stuff we blow off is just the natural. Maybe the Panadol kicked in. Or maybe just the headache went away. But no, our God is caring for us all the time. But we don't see it. We don't glorify him for it. And our faith doesn't grow. I want to see in the spirit. I want to see what he's doing. I want to engage with him the way that that the sister Heidi Baker does. Constantly just engage with him. So we need eyes to see what God is doing. And we need the faith and boldness to ask him for more than what we have and step out in that. So I'm very challenged by these young people at the school in Bethel who spend their Friday nights just getting crazy with God, seeking him for who can I go and pray for? Who can I go and and share miracles with and and the love of God? And they just step up to perfect strangers and then just act out of the vision that God has given them. That is a boldness which intimidates me because I'm so far from that. Man, I want that overwhelming love of God on me. 
So, I'm praying for sight, I'm praying for faith, and I'm praying for boldness.